these gentlemen and see if they will go by and pass them out at the theater. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you, you got some leftovers, go on and see the movie. But it's a good movie. It's a documentary that you would really enjoy, and I hope that you would do so. Okay? I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Um, just in case you don't know who I am, I'm Pierre Cannings. A few years down the road. Uh, now pray for Pierre. He's in Oklahoma speaking. So every now and then during the pandemic, he spoke all the time at 11 o'clock. But from time to time, I speak at 11 o'clock when there wasn't a pandemic. So we're back. The pandemic is still here. But we're back to doing that every now and then. So don't panic. He's coming back. For those of you who love hearing him preach, I'm glad you do. He's coming back. Yes. There you go. You give God praise for that. Hey, I'm good. Please tell the Lord God thanks for that. Come on, y'all can say bless God for Pierre and for his good work. Good work, yes. He does a great job. Thank God for him. Um, every now and then, I, will, I like coming in here and preaching. But uh, I'm glad that God has given us a, a young man like Pierre. He's, uh, he has a heart for this, not just preaching. He has a heart for it. In Genesis chapter 6, let's look at verse 9. And they are the, these are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. And the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. When you repeat something like that, in Hebrew, parallelism is for emphasis. Look at, verse, look at chapter 8, verse 18. Now, now Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his sons' wives with him, and every beast and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moves on the earth, and went out by his family from the ark. And then Noah built the ark to the Lord and took... So of every clean animal, animals had babies in those times, and every clean bird, and offered a burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the smoothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil and from his youth, and I will never again destroy everything as I have done. Chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Dear God, your word is truth. It is, it is holy. It is righteous in every way. But there's a lot of words out here, Lord. A lot of people with a lot of words that unfortunately become a competition when you speak. So God, I pray that we will submit our hearts to you. Even when we don't get it. Because we just trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I remember several years ago, in 1980, 1980, my wife came to me. I was sitting on the bed doing something. I can't remember exactly what. I was sitting there doing something. And I was sitting on the bed. She came to me. She said, we are pregnant. Uh, that wasn't supposed to happen right now. Okay, what's supposed to happen right now? 
But I, for some reason, I felt this excitement inside of me. It's like, man, this is like, I, just, I don't know. I just, like, my body lit up, my mind lit up. I was all excited. And then after the excitement, I started realizing, whew, responsibility. I'm going to be a father. Oh, my goodness. I'm getting ready to go to the seminary. I'm about, we're about to move out of Arlington, Texas to go to Dallas to live with my parents on a transition to seminary. Oh, boy, trouble. You know, I started to feel this huge sense of responsibility, huge sense that, man, I'm going to be influencing another life, and I am not ready financially. I remember that. I remember the struggle of dealing with that. But in the midst of all of this was taking place, I went to Dallas Seminary, and I was sitting in class. And I was sitting in class after we transitioned to my parents' home and getting ready to uh, start seminary. I went into a seminary class and I ran into a gentleman by the name, a professor by the name of Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks is revered as a great professor in hermeneutics. And uh, I sat in his class, just revered the fact to sit there because I'll keep hearing about hermeneutics, about uh, Howard Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks, Dr. Hendricks, hermeneutics. I was sitting in there and he said something to me that I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. He says, if you don't plan I mean, there's lots of good stuff he was sharing, but this stuck with me. Ain't got nothing to do with the class either. If you don't plan to be a father, you'll be a father just like your father. The only problem is you are, your son is not you. Wow. He was talking about something about application when he said that. I just, but for whatever reason, that sparked in me a desire to go learn who is a father. Who is this father? Who is this person that God wants me to be? What is this, <coughs> excuse me, what is this responsibility that God is calling me to? And what does all of this mean? I remember sitting back thinking that, and it, it moved me to study what God was talking about in this passage. What God was talking about, what God was expecting me to be, what God is expecting me to do it all of a sudden ring out in my head that I, I, if I don't have a plan, then I plan to be like my dad. And my dad was a great father, but he wasn't a dad. He was a great father. I mean, discipline. Make sure you get up. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. Making sure we get our devotions together. Go to church. Do our homework. Come to, come to extra lessons. Making sure I was involved in extra lessons. to get my, None of those things, you can't touch them. But being engaged in my life, going outside playing ball with me and hanging with me and seeing me playing on the soccer team and uh, in high school, getting all the way to the junior team for the country, all those things, that wasn't there. So I started to think, what am I going to be like? And how does this work? And I ran into many scriptures that taught me one major thing. If you're going to be a father, you must learn to stand. One simple thing. You, you, you would say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, man. There's a lot of things. You've got to pay bills. You got no, no, hold up a second. The Bible never says that God will provide you a job according to his riches and glory. He don't want to provide you for a job that way. There was no, no in the Bible, no scripture in the Bible, no verse in the Bible that says a job will provide for your needs. Nothing doesn't exist. I started realizing that, oh, man, you know, i got to come home and do all these chores and be responsible. He says, yeah, that's responsibility, but why? Are you doing this because doing you're a father? Or are you doing it because there's an agenda you need to accomplish that blesses your home? I started to think, 
when I studied this passage of Scripture, it blew my mind. He's only asking for one thing, and that's to stand. And what does that mean? Well, let's take a look at this. Come on, God, you got so much things to do in the house. No, stand. But God, you got to be this father in the house to do this. Stand. Yeah, stand. Folks, here, here, is, here is a big thing right here. How do you stand? The first thing, the first thing he is going to teach us in this passage of Scripture in chapter 6, verse 9, is that standing means that I'm committed to live upright. I'm committed to live upright, not down, down, not problems hitting me, I'm down. Pro issues popping up, I'm so down. I'm so overwhelmed. My finances are this way. Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it. Not down, down, but upright. In the midst of everything that can hit a father, in the midst of everything that can come against a father, which is not sometimes easy. Trying to be a father means that the discipline situations, parents can disagree forever. One per per parent, the child may acclimate to this parent more than they acclimate to that parent. Parent may come up from a different discipline structure than the other parent. Some parents don't even have any sat down to decide how are we going to parent. So one parent is spanking the child, then the other parent is saying, we don't believe in spanking. When did that happen? So sometimes you got blended families. How are you going to spank somebody else's kid even though you're married to the mother? All of these dynamics come when you're talking about standing in, a, in our culture. You say, but it's, it's hard to stand in this culture. It's hard. This culture is messed up. Can't talk about that when it comes to Noah because in Noah's culture it was worse. You, you had men who had these, who, demons who had decided to infiltrate men. So you had demon men, Nephilim. You had demon men. So the culture was so corrupt because it was being led by demons. So you can't come to it and say, oh man, this, this stuff is messed up. You can't touch the messed up situation like you can in the days of Noah. You can't touch it. He says, don't be low down. Don't function like you're beat down. Be upright. Okay, nicely said, but how you do that? Here's these four things you pay attention to, man, that I have to apply to my own life. My own life. Because if we don't accept these things, I will show you today, never attached to a woman. You can't find nowhere in the Bible what God is going to do with Noah is ever attached to a woman. Ever. I can take you all over the Bible. I'll show it to you. Never. He attaches this to a man. We are here today, and there's over 600,000 people that have died because of Noah. I'll prove it. Not 7 billion dead from the virus, six, over 600,000 because of Noah. I could show you in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, that if a father turns his heart to his kids, I will not curse the land. A father. I could show you in scriptures in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 that a father must instruct and discipline his sons and his children, his daughters and his sons. He must discipline them. He must be the one who gives them instruction. He must be the one who does it. And he just got you talking about the mother in verse 1 and in verse 2 in, in Ephesians chapter 6. But in verse 4, he drops mom and goes to dads. This earth is saved when fathers stand. A mother is chosen to be a mother. God decides who's going to be a mother. But the father, when fathers desert their responsibilities, the earth dies. 
That's how huge you are. That's how important you are to God's kingdom plan. That's why a man has to stand. It isn't easy. Who said it's going to be easy? Noah's got to go build an ark. He has to go build an ark, folks. You know how much work that is? He doesn't have the equipment that we have. We, we get, no, we, today we go build an ark today. Come on, man. We got people cutting on wood, going to Home Depot, Lowe's, getting wood, putting it together, shaping the boat. You got all these different engineers and all this stuff. They don't have that. For years upon years upon years, he's building this ark. People are mocking him, laughing at him. He's preaching. Nobody listening. Peter calls him the preacher that preached that nobody ever listened to. So he, he's, he is building and he's preaching. He's building and he's preaching. He's building and he's preaching. He's got his sons involved in building. His wife and, and, their, and their wives are involved in this process. He is at work for years and no water. So you can't say this was easy. Standing isn't easy. Standing is the worst thing you could decide to do in your life. It's the worst. You, gotta, you, you got wives that disagree. You got people that think who you think you are that attack. Standing isn't easy. But when you stand in the way that standing is explained in this text, you aren't standing. God is standing in you. And he fights for you from the inside out. And he blesses you. I'll show it in the text. He will bless you financially. Not from a job. <laughs> He'll bless you because you chose to stand. Just on that one principle, he'll bless you. I'll prove it. We kill ourselves trying to make a living and try to do all these different things. No, 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 no. I got to get this job. I got to do this. I got to. No, the Bible says that's a secular world that leaves you with high blood pressure that stresses you out and gets you heart attacks and strokes. My way brings you joy and peace. It's different, but it's right. And you get blessed on earth and heaven for it. So what, is this, what, is this, what makes you upright? Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing that made this man upright was his commitment to righteousness. Righteousness. Okay, the minute I say that, you're going to go, oh, man, <laughs> you're asking a lot, man. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be perfect all the time. No, 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 no. Go to chapter 9. He wasn't perfect. In Genesis chapter 9, he got drunk and got naked. <laughs> so he was happy. Okay? He had worked the land. He had worked so hard. I mean, it's after a flood. It's after a flood. I mean, the, 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 everything is gone. He has to start over from scratch. So with every house he had built, it's no longer there. It's gone. It, it's, it's, like, it's like Harvey came and everything in your house is gone. It's gone. There's no insurance. Well, I got a flood insurance. No, there's no flood insurance. It's not like God gave him a flood insurance. No flood insurance. No nothing. When you, get, when you walk out the ark, it's gone. Wherever the ark landed. Not like he said, I'm going to land it right next to your backyard for you, Noah. Wherever the ark landed, that's where it was. Start right here. He worked so hard. Noah decided to get happy. Look at this. Look at verse 18. Of chapter 9. Now the sons of Noah came out of the ark with Shem and Ham and Jephthah. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah. And from these the whole earth was populated. Whole earth was populated. God rebooted everything. And Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drunk of the wine and became what? Drunk. 
uncovered himself inside the tent. So you can't say righteousness is perfection because he got drunk. A righteous man got drunk. Okay? And got naked. That's a different kind of drunk. I was drunk, drunk. You don't even know you took off your clothes. Drunk, drunk. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about. I know y'all in church. Got drunk. So you can't say that. So what is righteousness? Please remember these things. The first thing about righteousness is that it is a God consciousness. It is a consciousness of God. In other words, whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm doing, I'm conscious that God knows every thought. He knows the intent of my heart. He knows what I'm going to do before I do it. So because I'm conscious of who God is, and I know he knows everything, I know he knows what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do wrong, God is so engaged in my life. And in the New Testament, he lives inside of me. That's worse than in the days of Noah. He lives inside of me. So he knows my feelings, my hurts, my pains. He knows all these different things. And this God lives inside of me. So when I'm going to function every day, I can't hide from God. I can't run like Jonah tried. I can't go in a closet. I can't go away to another city and do what I want because God is everywhere all at the same time and he lives inside of me. So wherever I'm going, God is there because he lives inside of me. So because I know that, I respond saying, God, forgive me of that sins. God, my eyes did this. Forgive me for that. God, I'm a, I was going, I didn't curse, but God, you know I was thinking it. Forgive me. See, when, when righteousness starts with integrity of who I am and that God knows me, I'm, I want to do right. Why? <laughs> he knows everything, so what can I hide from him? So why not just go do what he tells me to do? Here's the second thing about righteousness. It's a fear of God. That's what Proverbs would say. I reverence God. In other words, God has the power at any moment to do whatever he wants to destroy me at any point in time. Just like he would say to the earth, did he go around trying to get a democratic vote as to whether or not he can destroy the earth? No. I'm tired of man being corrupt. I'm holy and righteous watching this corrupt, evil world. And if Satan got his way, Satan made a demon man, which means that when Jesus Christ comes, he can't save man because that man is demon man, not spirit man. I can't let this happen. I'm wiping man out. No conversation, no nothing. God, God decided it. God is not asking for my permission or nothing. I could, I could decide that I'm going to New York. God decided to plane land. In Hebrews chapter 1, he says, God, by his very word, speak into being everything that happens every moment of every day. So since he's speaking it into being and operating by his words, the Bible is saying, I need to reverence that and respect that. You know what that, you know, where that taught me was a young boy, shared with, with this with y'all before, smoking cigarettes in downtown Guyana. I was trying to be cool. My friends are telling me, come on, man, let's smoke, let's smoke, man. We're way down here, man. Nobody's parents know what's going on and all this other stuff. So I said, yeah, you're right. So I started smoking. But when I got home, <laughs> you always do you're in trouble in our house when you try to open the door and the door opens by itself. 
you always knew you were in trouble because my dad can lock the door. He got eight kids. He can lock the door and make sure it's safe. But if you walk up to the door and you put your hand on the knob and it opens up, and when it opens up, there is a man named Basil Canning staring at you with a whip in his hand, you just could go ahead and die. He says, come here. You didn't argue with that conversation. I sat down. He said, this man told me, he's a friend of mine, said he would see you smoking cigarettes downtown. Go in the room. He's giving this man tea and cookies. I'm saying, I want to slide out the back door, whack him a couple of times for being a snitch. That man got the best treatment. My mom came to him and apologized, and they got all this stuff going on in the living room while I'm waiting in, on death row. Now, 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 understand, anybody that talked to me about smoking anymore is over. Reverence. You see, the same dad I hugged, same dad I came home to, but the same dad I dare not disobey. So what does that make me do? Act right. The Bible says when I stop having a fear of God, I'm a corrupt person. Here's the third thing that the Bible says would make us righteous. Be honest. Just be honest. You can always be tempted to lie, but be honest. You know, just, I messed up. There's one thing I've tried in my marriage. I'm not perfect at it. My mom used to say this all the time. It is what it is, son. <laughs> she does a standard statement. It is what it is. Don't dress it up. Did you do your homework? It is what it is. Did you or not? I could actually see her standing at the table doing that. She teach me at a young age honesty. Just be honest. Just say what it is. You're going to mess up sometime, but at least say what it is used to whip that into me. My parents could not stand anybody lying in their house. I'm serious. It was an automatic whipping with no conversation, no nothing. Pow! If your teeth were still there, you blessed in the city, blessed in the fields. Understand, because I tell y'all, if, if child welfare worked in my day and time at my house, my parents would be a long time in jail. Now they spank you. But a spanking was for correction because I was wrong. Understand. Be honest. If, here's why I tell you this. If a person is honest, guess what they have to do? Live honest. If a person decides that I'm going to be honest, they're not going to turn around and do all kind of crazy stuff because then they got to be honest about it. And so automatically, if I choose to be an honest person, I will live honest because I don't want to live Dishonest, and then have to lie. Then I'm dishonest twice. Here's the fourth thing about righteous people. That would help you. They respect the law. They respect the law. Respect the laws of God and the laws of man. Don't argue with it. Wear a mask. Okay. I'll argue with it. God tell me to do it. The Bible says this is what you do. The world is saying, do that. None. Anytime, here's a key thing, I am arguing with God when he tells me to do something, I'm telling him I don't trust you. I don't trust you, God. So when you're telling me something I don't agree with, bump you. 
I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm smart. I'm educated. I've been living this life. I'm grown. And the Bible says when you're doing that, you've messed up number one all the way to number three. I have to learn in the midst of whatever it is, whatever you are saying to me, I don't have to understand but how to do it. And I'm done. That's what leads to righteous people. Abraham, go. Yes, sir. Job, how dare you ask me what I did wrong? Yes, sir. Righteous people don't argue with God. They just accept that he's God, perfect, righteous in every way. And I just do what he says. I don't control results. I control the decision as to what I'm going to do with my will as I give it to his will. But I can't control what that becomes. I don't control results. I just control what I decide to do as to whether or not I'm going to give my heart to God when he tells me to do something. And that's it. That's people that are righteous. When you start looking at righteous people in the Bible, that's, Abraham was a righteous man. Abraham, go. Abraham, you're going you're gonna to go kill your son. Yes, sir. He just did it. Didn't argue about it. That's all they are. They're not perfect people. The man got drunk. Take off his clothes. He partying. He having such a good time, he didn't even know he naked. <laughs> he drank so, and that day, it's not like it's heavy alcoholic wine. You got to let the wine <laughs> sit there for a minute. That's why Jesus Christ made water to wine. He's trying to make a point. If you're going to get drunk today, it's going to take a lot of wine. I'm not trying to get you drunk. I'm just trying to finish up this wedding feast. So, that, so when somebody got drunk in their day, it was purposeful. I am going to get drunk. Got to drink a lot. So he wasn't perfect. And that's why the Bible said he was blameless. Because once you correct him, he's going to go about doing what he says. That's the second thing you find about this person being upright. An upright person is going to be blameless in the sense that I want to do what is right and I want to see it all the way through. I don't quit in the middle of it. I'm going to see it all the way through. And because I'm going to see it all the way through, I'm constantly adjusting, working through things, making this happen, that happen. Abraham, you start looking at the people that God called righteous, not people called righteous. When you start looking at Abraham, oh, Abraham, why are you laughing right now? You're going to have a baby. What you cracking up about? Yes, God. Okay, God. Okay, God. No, Eleazar is not going to be the covenant child. Okay, God. Okay, God. You're going to wait on a baby. Yes, God. Yes, God. You give your wife to Pharaoh? I messed up, God. Leave now and get out of the city. Yes, Lord. They weren't perfect people. They're just going to see things through and then keep working at it. That's what makes a man in his home stand. He don't quit. I told my kids two things all the time. Yes, you and my mom, me and my mom, we'll argue. But I'm not going to be on no couch. I ain't going to have two boys walk out their room and see their dad punked out on a couch with a pillow and a blanket. And I'm a man of the house? How is that a man of the house? He just got put out. And you will never see me walk out this door because your mom and I are having problems. Never. Your father will never walk out that door because I will stand. Because the minute I leave this position, God taught me in that class when I decided to dig into this. If you leave your post, Satan got it. It's done. The minute the man stops standing in his post, it's over. 
Adam and Eve. Why did he talk to Eve first? Because God said to Adam what he needed to learn, to teach his wife. Eve knew it, so he taught his wife. Eve knew. She, she, she's telling him the verses. She's telling Satan the verses. The Bible says Adam was right there. What does he do? Left his post. Citizen the world. When a man doesn't stand in his place, it destroys the world. Don't destroy just a house. God taught me that. That's why I fight so hard. Because I understand standing is brutal. You ain't going to have a lot of friends all the time. But the thing that blesses you is when a man stands. Go to Psalm 128. Or God will bless you. You could never put any salary that I've made or whatever God has blessed me to achieve in this life, my wife and I, could never put it to the income I've ever made. Because I believe this. I studied this and I said, okay, God, you're the man. You're the man. At the end of the day, I'm here today and gone tomorrow. The least I can do is when I'm gone, there's a legacy. Look at Psalm 128, folks. He never told you a job would provide for your needs according to its riches. He said, no. I will provide for your needs. Seek me, seek the kingdom of God first, and I will add these things to you. Seek me first. I kept telling our sons, hey, God is a jealous God. Don't fool with him. You keep him high. Don't drag him down here because of your troubles. Where's God now? Don't drag God down. Keep him high. Where's God now? Look at what's going on. Look at this mess. Look at this. You're dragging him down. Keep him high. God, I know you hear me. I know you concerned. I know you sit at the right hand of the Father. Ain't like you're not hearing my prayer. You hear my prayer so much, the Holy Spirit will pray the groans of my heart. You want to hear from me because you love me. Ain't no way, God, you're not listening to me right now. Why are you not responding to me? I don't get it. But I know you heard me. And if you don't respond to my prayer, I'm going to holler to you. cry to you because you my Lord and I got no help but yours in Psalm 128 he says this how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways just blessed blessed in the Bible means you're going to be prosperous and happy you're going to come from God's economy to yours that's what the word blessed means who walks in his ways? When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you got to work. I'm not saying you don't have to work. You'll, but the, the job will become fruitful. He says, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Look at the word when. He didn't say it's going to be tomorrow because you're working hard. He says when. You got you to give it time. Because they, they, they're an agrarian society. You, pl you plow the soil. You, you pick out the weeds. You put in the seeds. You water the plants. You got to wait for the rainy season. It's time to make it work. He says, when you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you shall be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like an olive plant. What does that mean? Olive plant in their day, you get, you get oil from it. You you got it's pitch dark. You have lights. You get oil from it. It's, it's also used for medicine. They become like an olive plant. You ain't got no 401ks. 
around your table. Behold, for thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. For the Lord will bless you from Zion, not, not from your job, not, not from your government, not from your friends, not from your neighborhood, from your church. How you take church serious, how you give, how you serve in it, how you make it productive. He says, as you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem when the country crashes financially, it's not the country, it's us. Indeed, you shall see. And Jerusalem, all the days of your life, to the point where you shall see your children's children. And when there is mess around the world, you create the peace. That's what he's saying to a man who chooses to walk upright. You save the earth. Democrats, Republicans don't do it. You do it. A man. I want to destroy the whole earth. But I got to go talk to Noah because Noah chose to live upright. So I can't destroy everybody because Noah is a sore thumb right here. And because of Noah, the sore thumb who chose to live righteous, we're here today. One man that chose to live right is why all of us sit here. One man. Tell me where in the Bible you don't see how strong a man needs to be to make a strong earth. And that's why he said, <laughs> we'll go back to Genesis. I will save the earth. Watch when this happens. Dad. <laughs> I will save the earth. Watch when this happens. Look at Genesis chapter 8. This is when this happened. This is when this took place. Let me look at it. Let's read it together. Let's read it together. In Genesis chapter 8, this, Noah comes out this boat, this ship, this huge vessel. He comes out and you would think the first thing he would do is go, let's have a hallelujah service. Let me get me something to drink. You don't do that. Noah comes out and the first thing he thinks to do is to go worship God. First thing. Come on, no, man, you just, left, you just lost your house. All your friends are gone. Think about it for a minute. Noah had to have relatives, cousins, uncles, aunts, all them gone. Think about it for a minute. See, we, we just, Noah was a good man. He had a kid. No, 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 no. Noah had a family. And only Noah and the kids are left. There's a whole lot of family gone. Cousins, uncles, aunts. Maybe grandparents. People lived long in his day. Moses, Noah lived for hundreds of years because the, the, they believed that there was a, a mist that covered the earth. So it's constantly had perfect oxygen and it constantly kept the crops nurtured and growing. So people, when they worked, they didn't have the kind of stress that we have. But I believe it's just the gift of God for life. They give all that kind of scientific stuff. But look what happens here. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Folks, make sure you understand. Building an altar is not just going in, brother puts a few sticks in. No. They always built an altar at the top of mountains. 
So Mo Noah is working with his sons carrying rocks to the top of the mountains after being in a ship for that length of time, and he builds this altar first. The word build means he is putting a lot of effort in. He is establishing this. He is putting a lot of effort into it and work into it to make sure it's done exactly right. And it's the first altar that has ever been built in the Bible was started with Noah. No altar before then. When Cain and Abel came to worship God, no altar. The first altar you ever see in the Bible is here with Noah. Noah came out, and watch this carefully. He didn't just come out and bring an offering to God, a peace offering, a nice offering. No, 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 no. He went and got a burnt offering. A burnt offering is literally saying, God, I am surrendered to you to the point where my life don't matter anymore. But because I have to keep living when I give this to you, I need to get an animal. Use every part of that animal, every piece of that animal. Cut it up. Keep all this. This is a lot of work. He takes these animals up there. Not just animal, animals. He takes them up there. And now the earth ain't got animals. He still believes in God can make a miracle. He's functioning with his mindset. He breaks up all the animals. Then he burns every bit of that animal into ashes. Because it means in that sacrifice, I'm all yours. I'm surrendered to you. I give my life to you. I give my all to you. And you mean everything. So God, if I got to take this many animals and you got to go make them out of the dust of the earth again, cool, God, you got it. I believe in you. Watch God's response. God says, that kind of heart? Oh, it's like a a, a woman with a beautiful perfume on. Mm. Oh, that smells good. Oh, that smells good. Many scholars debate at this point because God responds by saying, watch this carefully. Come with me to chapter 5 and then we're going to go to chapter 6. Watch this carefully. Watch carefully. In, in chapter 5 verse, in chapter 5 verse 6, this is what he's going to say. Chapter 5, verse 29. 29 is going to say, now he called his name Noah, saying, this one will give us rest from, from our work and from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. He's going to be a great model for us so we don't have to work as hard because of Noah. But look what happens just a few verses down, a few years down. In the Bible, it could be several years down. In verse 6, it says, and the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And the Lord will blot them all out because of the Nephilim. Look at chapter 8. Look at chapter 8. Look at what he says in verse 21. And when he smelled the soothing aroma, the Lord said unto himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil and from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. I put a lot of energy into wiping it all out. That means if a person was a strong swimmer, God will send, an, send whatever fish to get them. You're going to die. If a person found a way to hold on to a tree, he created a wave. That's what the word done means. I put a lot of energy into making sure everything was gone. Every living creature. Even the fish I made sure out. He said, but you know what? Many scholars struggle. Is this the aroma that he smelled that changed his mind? But it sure looked like it. Because this man's deciding to live before God. Not before man, not before his circumstances, not what his circumstances are saying, how he should feel, but just before God. 
God says, when the COVID virus comes, I will not kill the whole earth because I am so tired of man's wickedness. One man saved the earth again. That's how huge you are as a man. Don't let this world take away how important you are by saying, well, you don't own a business or you don't drive this kind of car or you don't have this education or you just don't live in this certain neighborhood. Because of this, you just, no, Bible says because I choose and my sovereign will to design you to be a man. I design you to be a man. Don't let this world take it away and say that, no, you could be a lesbian or you could be this. Don't let Satan take it and twist it this way. The Bible says, I, I, I came into your mama's womb and I decided you will be a man because I needed a man to be functioning in this capacity to do these different things. And I need to save the earth through a man. Have the world determine how great you are? God designs how great you are. That's what God taught me as a seminary student. Be a man that stands. You don't have to be all those things. You don't have to be the greatest preacher. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know especially one thing. Stand. Just stand on me, on my ground. It's solid ground. Just stand. Winds come, storms come, problems come. Stand on the rock. And when you stand, immediately, worship will become huge to you. You want to run the church. You want to worship God. You want to give your life to God. You want to surrender to God. Why? Because the more I give myself to God, to serve God, to walk with God, is the more I come to a better understanding of who God is. And the more I become more understanding of who God is, is the better I want to give my life to Him. You know, I may think in my young days, I can go up and play against some of the NBA players. In my young days, ignorance is blitz. I could think I could do crossover, whatever. But when you get out on the court and they go past you and you don't recognize where they are until you hear a slam, you start to realize you got to go home and stick with soccer. So sometimes you think you're bad because you're playing against this kind of person, that kind of person, and you're scoring and winning points. But when you go out there with them, the Bible says when you choose to live your life before God, when you start realizing how massive he is, you'll become like Jonah, who thought he could run from him. But he found himself in the belly of a fish, and he realized God is everywhere. That makes a person go, I'm yours. That's why it starts off with righteousness. Then he says this. Look at chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And God. <laughs> I like that. Ain't no Noah. Well, let's talk to Noah. No. God says, I'm back in control. Oh, wow. God says, I am now can control mankind because I got one man named Noah. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine God coming... <laughs> into Houston and saying, let me find some righteous people so I could restrain sin. I can't touch this church. I can't touch this family. I can't touch this community because this is just a place where righteousness exists. And the Bible says righteousness restrains sin. So, so if, if Houston is getting bad, there's a whole lot of sinners up in here. 
<laughs> if my body is deteriorating, my antibody system is not working. That's why he says this, folks. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to him, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know, go home. Be with your wives. You ain't going to stop these babies from coming. It's a done deal. One man saved the earth. In Genesis, God said, let's make man. In Genesis chapter 9, God said, God started over because of one man. <laughs> Folks, what does he build first? Family. What does he say to this family? Fill the earth. What does it mean by fill the earth? I'm commanding you to let what this righteousness is that you've seen in your dad, I'm commanding you to let that multiply all over the earth. See, we tend to think it's people, people, people. I mean, he went from, what, what? Two kids, three kids having wives, that's six. He and his wife, that's eight. To seven billion. How could you question whether or not God said this? We're in seven billion. <laughs> Folks. But he wasn't saying just have babies. What he was saying was, what you have seen, I made man in my image so that he'll be fruitful and multiply. It always starts off with my image, then he's fruitful and multiply. Why? He's trying to erase evil. So the way to erase evil is to not just have man, but to have godly men, godly women. Because then evil is erased and there's no need for punishment. I can't tell you that everything was perfect for me in my life. It wasn't. Life was hard and it has been hard many times. But God has taught me one thing. You fight for what I'm saying and you fight for your family. Period. Rap. That's what he's telling him. Noah, you saved the earth. Noah, I would never do this to man again. And Noah, I'm setting your sons up to be a blessing. Go help them be a blessing. And once you do that, Noah, I'll bless the earth. God and family. My kids have heard that so many times, they're probably sick of it. Son, no matter what you do in this life, God, family, and you're in school so you could do the same thing, well prepared to provide for a family and repeat that into the hearts of your children. Because that's where God is. Oh, Paul, come on, man. You don't understand. God wants you to be well-educated. Yes, he does, but it's got a purpose to it. It's not just so you can become arrogant and get yourself in a nice corner office and be rich. Somebody, you don't understand. Man, I, I want to live life. How you want to live it? To where we are part of the evil or the good? See, that's why I would always look at you as fathers with respect. Because without you, this world is over. It's over. See, sometimes I think my kids think when I talk about legacy, it's just legacy. It's not about legacy. It's about saving the earth. It's about perpetuating that into kids. Oh, my grandkids may think I just want to spend time with them. No, I want to invest in them. Because I'm here today and gone tomorrow. But my grandkids, prayfully, God keeps them alive to multiply. Life is not 
in what you shall eat and what you shall drink. Life is in seeking the kingdom of God first. And he'll grant all these things unto you. What does Satan do? Keep us seeking things we should eat and what we should wear. So he can put us in stress and divorces and tear up homes because people are crazy about the money. And God is saying, no, don't let life become what you shall eat and what you shall drink. Let life be about seeking he the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He visually showed that in the wilderness. Didn't have nothing. He fed them, clothed them, took care of them every day. And he did it because Moses, Caleb, Joshua were men of God. He saved the nation and blessed the earth. Fathers, we can't make it without you. Stand. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how alone you may feel, stand. Let us stand.